0: nickname
1: <laughs> see money
0: could you hear that okay was that enough good <clears throat> all right welcome in to another episode of dnvr avalanches at the ring podcast i'm megan angley this is jesse montano we're back for another one and it's kind of a poor one out to the NHL 2023 <laughs> regular season. Yeah. I'm glad we'll get this episode not out of the way, but discuss these topics now because moving forward, it's going to be dominated by playoff yeah. conversations. And as teams get eliminated, our focus is going to become so much more limited to those teams that are remaining. So we'll have plenty of time to dive into that as the playoffs carry on. But for today, we can keep it kind of league wide focused to start. Yeah. Um, before we do the league-wide focus, though, I did want to talk about Gabriel Landeskog. We've done a lot of content, but we haven't done anything here in the app, the rink umbrella for it yet. I know you have the full media availability linked in this week's Sunday yep. at the rink piece, which is free and unlocked for everybody to read this yeah. time around.
1: I was going to say, that I wanted to make sure we mentioned that, that um, Megan, this you, you were the one that suggested having this week's piece be free and unlocked. And it's for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. This is... The time in between, for me at least, the end of the regular season and the start of playoffs are always really fun because you do get to like, kind of close a chapter on a lot of what we've seen, and there's so much to discuss. And starting tonight at 5 p.m., which I'm so excited for, playoffs do officially get underway, and that's really kind of where the hockey world's focus goes. But there's so much stuff out here to talk about, especially with a guy like Gabe Landeskog, uh, and like you said, we're we're probably not gonna drop in any of Landy's <clears throat> availability into the show because. I think this will already be a little bit of a long show with right. some of the other stuff we got going, but it was about 20 minutes and some change, uh, and it is linked in the at the rink piece. And as Megan said, we decided to make this one uh, free and unlocked this week because uh, I just thought that there was you, like I said, you suggested it, but I agreed there was just so much good content in there that we wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to read it.
0: Definitely. And before we move on from the Scott conversation. I wanted to invite everyone to listen to that media availability if they haven't had a chance to, because at this point, everything to know is known that he won't return for the 2023 playoffs. And his return timeline is still a bit unknown, given the nature of his injury, cartilage injury. You wrote a little bit about it, but I guess I just wanted to give some finality to it so we can move forward into the playoff conversations after this.
1: Yeah. And so we, the, the other <clears throat> uh, important part to note about all of this, and, and I think I like your idea. Maybe I'll put uh, a little bit of this out separately. We did get to hear from Chris McFarlane yesterday before practice got yeah. going. Um, and <clears throat> as you can imagine, I'm again, very generous for this time. Also right about 20 minutes. Uh, early on, there was a lot of conversation about Gabe Landeskog. Uh, How much did the team actually know? How much did it impact decisions at the trade deadline? Things like that, because that's what everyone's wondering. And and while I think some of the criticisms have been way over the top, I think it's fair to question what all did you actually know? How much did this impact your trade deadline? Because as much as you, you and I have kind of laughed over the last few days, just again, some of the reactions out there have been like... Take it down a level, you know, like conspiracy theories and all this stuff. <clears throat> but it's a fair question. $7 million that the Avs didn't really end up tapping into. I think they, when the season ended, they didn't have the cap space to activate Landis Cog, but not by all that much. You know, they didn't really utilize that $7 million. Um, so it's fair to wonder, but essentially, Megan, what I've gathered from talking to Chris McFarland. Uh, hearing from Gabe Landeskog, and then just talking to other people around the organization, or, or just around, I, I really don't think they anticipated this. And you can tell me if maybe you've read between the lines differently, but I, I really do, like I said, from everything I've gathered, I think coming into the season, they weren't expecting any issues. Then we hit training camp, and they right before training camp, they realized, yes, there's some problems here. Uh, maybe another <laughs> procedure, surgery. I don't really know what the difference is. They are classifying them differently. Miss a little bit of time. And then it's just kind of snowballed from there. And then I thought it was interesting that Gabe Landisgaard used the word plateau when talking about his recovery. I asked him, were there any setbacks? He said, nope. And, and really what I've kind of gleaned from all this is they were tracking progress a certain way. And then at a certain point, it just stopped. Just wasn't getting any better, wasn't getting any stronger. And they're kind of going back to the drawing board. Um, you know, Chris McFarland said that really what they decided to do with the deadline had basically nothing to do with Gabe Landiscock, whether he was in or out, that they were making decisions based on what they thought were best for the organization, both short and long term. And look, Megan, this is the part the, the the part that I argued in Sundays at the rink this week was. I kind of agree with them saying, we're just going to roll with what we've got. We went over this a little bit on on shows at the end of the week. But when you run through the list of guys who were available come trade deadline, gosh, Megan, I don't know. Was there really anyone that moved the needle for you? For me, it was Ryan O'Reilly, and he was gone weeks before.
0: The way I break it down is of what assets would have been needed to give up for Ryan O'Reilly, it just wouldn't have been possible, especially knowing what we do now about Landeskog. And Chris McFarlane says it had no impact, but I have to imagine it had some impact in not knowing because you mentioned this too, but taking a big swing and moving assets and then not having a Landeskog available changes a lot of things because even if you get a return, you gave up something. I don't know if it would have been an active roster player but we look at the college free agency grab that they did for the Eagles, and there's a reason for that. Their yeah. prospect pool's quite depleted. And McFarland acknowledged that. They so. don't want to be – Kevin Mc, like a lot of people have acknowledged that. They're being very frank about mm-hmm. the reality of the situation with the prospect pool currently, and even just with throwing around picks, even though the Lars Eller, yeah, sure, there's a pick involved. They don't want to be throwing around quite too many. So for a Ryan O'Reilly acquisition, I think it would have asked for too much. Similarly, there are players who didn't quite move the needle like a Max Domi and seeing in Dallas that the production just hasn't been so different from Lars Eller. I know it's easy. Rear view 2020. It's easy to say that. But I think we came to know that Max Domi also just might not have been a great fit. There's a reason he was available the day the deadline Mm -hmm. closed. Only one who stands out as man sure would have been nice is Nino Niederreiter. But even still, that's one person. Mm There's no team that can get it right every single deadline. Avs got it really right last deadline, yep. like last, last deadline. <laughs> that I just, uh, I, I'm i with you. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was a player that moved the needle quite too much for me. And, you know, Linda Scog with news or not, it just, there would have been too much given up, I think.
1: I, I agree with you. And look, I, I, I will say, I, I think had the AVs landed Ryan O'Reilly, I think that would have made it, almost like a wash. You know what I mean? Like, cool, you brought in O'Reilly. You lost Landis You feel pretty comfortable going back into the playoffs that, hey, we're, you know, we can do this again. <clears throat> and for them to feel comfortable giving up, to your point, big assets to make that move, I think they would have had to know definitively a month before the deadline when Ryan O'Reilly got moved that Gabe Landeskog, not only was he not coming back for the regular season, but he wouldn't be back at any point in the postseason. That's the only way where I think they could have said, we felt it made sense to, by the way, they would have had to up their offer. They weren't in on Ryan O'Reilly. They got outbid by Toronto, who, who paid a decent price. Um, They would have had to up their bid to convince the St. Louis Blues to trade him in the division to a team that, There is a bit of a rivalry there with, so you know the price would have been a little bit higher. He's the only guy that I thought, when I looked back at the the pool of players that were available, I would have said, yeah, that's the one guy that I would have felt like, like I said, kind of was a one for one. Everyone else, I'm with you. Had you given it up and then we got this news, I feel like I would have more had the thought of like, ugh, you would have rather held on to those assets. Because now, you head into the summer, and look, I'm sure you got this, the, the same answer up in Loveland. When we talked to Chris McFarland yesterday, he said, we're getting through the playoffs first. And obviously there's going to be stuff with Landis Scott going on behind the scenes, but he basically said, we're going to get through the playoffs and then we'll see where we're at. And the way I'm taking that is we're going to go into the summer. Gabe Landis acknowledged. And I think we can pretty safely count on this is going to bleed into next year, probably a decent portion of next year. I'll be honest, Megan, if not the entire season next year, I think that's maybe where they're at. We need to like hard stop on all of this and get him right. They're now going to be able to go into the summer. And if you're, if you know that you're going to end up with a potential Nikita Kucherov situation where he's on a a better understanding rehab path, we now kind of know what's going on a little bit better Feels like the last nine months have been like a a one big discovery phase for Landeskog. You can hit the summer and say, cool. Now we have that cap space to play with. You can go into the draft and say, we still have all these draft assets that we didn't spend at the deadline. And now we can try to bring in a player that we're not just going to get six weeks out of. We're going to bank on having a player for an entire year. We can kind of build our roster planning to not have Gabe Landeskog, I wholeheartedly believe the plan this entire season was to have Gabe Landeskog, And I think on deadline day, they were expecting we will get some regular season games out of Gabe. And, and I think that's why we found out why they chose not to pursue a defenseman and dip into Eric Johnson's cap space. Cause, he Cause he's tre- going to get healthy. He, they, they knew he was going to get healthy. We all didn't know that. I think that was always the plan with Gabe until it wasn't and and so i think now they're just going to go into this summer into the draft with a much better understanding of where he's at where they're at where the money situation is at and now you've just you've held on to all of these assets i i I don't think this is an issue especially we're going to get into the playoff conversation megan i still think this is the team to beat out west even with no Gabe. Obviously, I'm not guaranteeing they're going to get through the Stanley Cup final. I think the West is better than people are giving it credit for. There's good teams. I still think they're the team to beat, even without Gabe. You might as well just play with the house money you've got. You are still currently the defending Stanley Cup champions. Play with the house money. If it doesn't happen this year, I don't want to say, oh well, but you are still in the heart of your window, in the front end of your championship window you got time here i think overall i'm happy with the way that they manage assets and handle the deadline now knowing gabe's uncertainty i know people aren't going to like that because they want teams to gear up every single time i just feel like it would have been hard for them to go all in without having all of their own pieces to begin with
0: i definitely agree because you talk about the window and it wouldn't have been worth it for this team to remain competitive for years to come to blow up the team at this deadline. And the other part of it is the human component. I think people are rightfully having a reaction to the loss of the captain, like the fan base is rightfully Mm -hmm. mourning that. And I think that's where there is a mixed bag of emotions of frustration and disappointment and concern. And the part I go back to is the way in which this was handled was with Landis in mind, with his input, his influence, I think that the uncertainty is because they are looking to him to give that green light, right? And when they are listening to him when he says, I'm targeting the postseason yep. or I'm targeting March. They're listening to him. Yep. They're trusting him. And it it has to go both ways. Like, they could have not listened to Landis and pulled the plug on this sooner, and we probably would have also been frustrated by that, mm-hmm. that they didn't have the courtesy of listening to him. Right. And his own body, and so
1: and it would have been. Why are you punting so early? Right. Why aren't you waiting as late as possible?
0: And so I know that it's disappointing for it to come about this time of year, but it is a courtesy to Landiscog. Yeah. and if you care about Landiscog the person, you want to be glad that he gave it his all. He, you know, yeah. and it's it's disappointment that it, it ends in this conclusion, but. That is your captain making those decisions and the fan base looks to him with trust for all other decisions when it comes to the team. Yeah. Exactly. And if you have that trust for him to lead this team as a captain, you have to have a little bit of trust too when it comes to listening to his body. And it stinks that it ended this way, but this is going to be, like you said, getting him right. This is going to be the best possible scenario for getting him right in the future and returning back to this avalanche group one day.
1: And then I'll, I'll kind of wrap up my thoughts on this, just building off what you said there. I think where a lot of the frustration comes, and I and this part, I get it. I get it. The avalanche, <clears throat> and Gabe even acknowledged this. Historically, they are very tight-lipped Definitely. on this stuff. And, and, you know, they they don't give us a lot of information. They are one of the teams that sticks the most strict to... The NHL's, um, they basically draw a line at the hips and say upper body, lower body, and that's all you have to give. And the abs lean into that maybe more than any other organization in the NHL. They keep all of that stuff as tight-lipped in-house as possible. You've had national reporters, major insiders like Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnston, publicly admit the Colorado Avalanche are one of the hardest organizations in pro sports to get information out of. It's the old Pierre Lacroix way and it's just stuck. So I think people maybe feel like a lot of this was deceptive that the Avs knew yeah. all along that this is where we were heading. I genuinely, genuinely believe, because Megan, you and I talk about that frustration. I promise more than any of the fans out there. Like we have we deal with that every day. And it's frustrating and it's hard because, you know, we make the joke sometimes where it's like, we're just trying to do our job. Like, you know, we're, we're here asking questions not to like get anybody. We're trying to do our job. And it's really frustrating when we can't get that information. This is one situation where I genuinely feel like they were being forthcoming with the information they had. We're just finding out they didn't have a lot of information and they were purely going day to day, week to week with how he was feeling, how it was recovering. And they had to pull the plug on this when all of that just stopped progressing and you know, Gabe said that we had to make this decision because it wasn't we found out that being on the ice wasn't productive. It was leading to a lot of speculation, leading to a lot of public scrutiny. I thought it was interesting how he said rehabbing in the public eye can be difficult. And I get that. And he didn't want his teammates answering questions on it while they're trying to chase down another Stanley Cup. So I really do believe that this was one of the few situations where the abs weren't trying to pull the wool over on anyone when jared bednar was saying i don't know about gabe Landeskog," i now firmly believe he didn't know and so i think that's where a lot of the frustration came from oh they knew they were just you know classic abs they were just staying quiet i don't think that's the case with this one in particular
0: i'm glad you validated the frustration too it is rightful and you're right. The timelines we were given, the March 15th that the Elliot Friedman's were given, yep. is what everyone was being given. Yeah. And they happened to be wrong because they were wrong. Like even Scott himself had to face the music, all right, March 15th not gonna happen. Yep. But he thought it would at one point. Mm-hmm. And that's just difficult. I wanna validate that frustration.
1: And and I think that's a great point, Megan. The, the fact that there was even dates out there and the fact that ESPN even had a couple of reports out there to me says this was handled differently than other avalanche injuries, right? We're expecting Kale McCarr, Josh Manson to be back, but even that they're kind of tiptoeing. Well, yeah, we're hoping we're like, you know, that's the kind of stuff where they do get a little cute with it. This gave Landeskog stuff, like you said, the fact that there were dates out there being reported by the Elliott Friedman's, the Emily Kaplan's of the world tells you this was handled a little bit differently.
0: Definitely now we can move into the broader conversation yes. about the year at hand and just some of the, the changing landscape too. moving into the Stanley cup playoffs. I was going to head it off with the coaching changes and yeah. the front office changes that have happened around the league. I mean, so we start with Bruce Boudreau kind of in the season, but mm-hmm. then Dallas Eakins, Brad Larson, Peter Laviolette, and then just like the entirety <laughs> of the, the
1: penguins, the <laughs> Pens front office. Thank
0: yeah. you. Um, <laughs> Those are some pretty big changes to come, and some of that leads into the conversation of the Ovechkin-Crosby piece in not having these players available to watch for the Stanley Cup playoffs and also knowing that there are going to be some of the league's top talent still available to watch in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting turning of the page, but I think starting with a lot of those management changes, you can expect, too, for players to also be on the move going into next season It just creates, like, next year, I think the NHL is going to look very different.
1: I don't think the NHL is ever going to get to the point of, like, the NBA where they fully embrace the chaos and superstar players are on the move. I do still think that, whether people like it or not, the hockey culture thing is still, you know, you see guys like Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon really wanted to. He could have walked up to free agency this year and made $15 million. But no, like, he, you know, those types of players, and it's not just Nathan McKinnon. I'm just using him as the example. Like, th- there is a, a different sense of loyalty, I think, in the NHL. Rightly or wrongly, however you feel about it, I do just think that players, on the whole, like to be, you know, loyal to teams that drafted them, teams that took a chance on them. I think Val Nichushkin is a good example of this. Dude could have easily gone into free agency and cashed a huge check. I mean, he did all right here in Colorado, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's a team that he understood his fit. He understood the value in this relationship, but I think you're right, Megan. I think this summer is going to be so interesting because I do think we are heading in that direction a little bit where there's just going to be changes and, and there's going to be obviously a lot of coaching changes, general manager changes. And, and the one that I think is most interesting is what's happening in Pittsburgh. I'm not quite ready to shut the book on the Sidney Crosby, Guinea Malkin, Chris Letang, Pittsburgh Penguins, because I think they've had a lot of goaltending problems in the last couple of years. And the fact that they just barely miss, I don't know, they get some goaltending help this summer. I think it's very plausible they could be right back in the playoffs next year. But I do think this is... The first sign that Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, they can't single-handedly drag their teams in anymore. They need help. And what I find so interesting about Pittsburgh is the front office cleanout. I know Sid and all of them came out this weekend and said, no, he, we want to keep him a penguin for life. Well, the Blackhawks also said they wanted Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane to retire as Blackhawks. Things change, new management comes in, and, and, and you know I, we're gonna talk about uh, Chicago, and we, we spoke with Jay Zawoski from CHGO later, and he basically said, like, look, Kyle Davidson came in and said, this is great. I'm here to do a job. I, I don't have time to be loyal to history or all that stuff. We are trying to win, we are trying to get back into being competitive. I think if you head into next year, you get a new GM, you get an entirely new front office in Pittsburgh. If they miss the playoffs by more than they did this year or things just don't get back on the rails, I don't necessarily think they're going to be looking to flip Sid at the deadline, but I think you are going to start to be staring down those conversations as the end of his contract draws nearer and nearer of, okay, how good does it do us to have Sid? you know, if we, if we are going to start the rebuild process, how good... How how much value is it to us to have Sidney Crosby just hanging around missing the playoffs? And how interested is Sidney Crosby in hanging around missing the playoffs to end his career? It's just going to be interesting because I think you are now heading into territory of having those conversations. I think Alex Ovechkin will be in Washington until he breaks Wayne Gretzky's goal record. I'm not even willing to entertain anything different. But I think you are getting into this territory of how much, like I said, how much do we want these guys just sitting around if we're trying to rebuild? How interested are they in staying around if we're trying to rebuild? There's questions around Evgeny Kuznetsov in Washington. Is he going to stick around? That relationship has soured a bit. Uh, what does, how does that affect Alex Ovechkin? That is kind of the last Russian you know, teammate he's got there. There's massive questions around uh, Nicholas Backstrom and his health. It's just that we are now getting into the era of these are going to start to be legitimate conversations in the years to come, and it's just jarring because like, those have been the faces of the NHL for almost two decades now.
0: It is hard to process. I think the call-out with Ovechkin remaining in Washington is fair. I think a lot of why Washington has the year they have is because of injury. Yeah. and I want to give them credit because Avalanche fans know that better than anyone, what it's like to have injury just eviscerate your roster like that. And I think Washington has struggled with that a lot at points this year that for Novechkin, Ovechkin, I'm sure he also realizes that context and imagines next year to be different. Um, but with Crosby in Pittsburgh, it, it does feel different. It does feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins of today also look really different from the sort of dynasty era of yep. Penn's hockey that he came to know and love. And he's, he's a captain. Like, I don't think you abandoned ship. Outright, But I look at just the flexibility to in Pittsburgh and what they're even going to be able to do to make changes. And they were so limited at the deadline. Their hands were tied with cap as well, yeah. similar to the avalanche that I don't know. It, it's really interesting to think about. I think it's a possibility for Crosby, but I would also not be surprised if he remained a pen. And I, I think the Chicago part in the conversation is interesting because Chicago's obviously in a different position from Pittsburgh sure. in that they have been barreling to the bottom for a little bit now. And they made big changes in this offseason going into this year that you didn't think they were going to move on for, from a Kirby Dock at one point in time, mm-hmm. but they do. And then Kane leaves and Taves is leaving at the end of this year. Do you think, well, and I guess we could throw that too. Our, our CHG expert when we get there. But I guess, is there anything you wanted to add to the league-wide conversation? Sort of the changing of the guard, turning the page. Is it looking ahead at what the playoffs have to offer in Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon being players that we are going to be able to watch?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that, that is a huge part of it for me is that this, this season right here, I mentioned it even, I think it was right around trade deadline. As unbelievable as Connor McDavid is, in my eyes, Megan, in my opinion, right now today, Sidney Crosby is the greatest player that's ever played. I think he's the most, you don't have to agree, people don't have to agree with it. I think he's the most well-rounded player that has ever played the game. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that training and technology and understanding and all of that stuff, coaching, everything's gotten better throughout the years. No one will ever be as dominant against their peers as Wayne Gretzky was. So everyone calm down, but like just pure talent, Sidney Crosby. Like I, I marvel at him still to this day. Right. But this really is kind of the first sign of like their time is starting to come to a close. We're, we're entering the final chapter. Right. And it, the league is turning over to those players that you just mentioned, you know, McCarr, uh, McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon, You you could even throw in guys like Jason Robertson, uh, you know, in there easily. And, and it's, it's, and there's a 10 guys that I didn't mention there, but you know what I'm saying? It's just interesting. And and I'm just going to be really fascinated to watch because here's the one other part of all of this. Megan, I made the joke a couple times. I ran that draft simulator for the first time in a couple of years. This last week, I ran it seven times. The Washington Capitals won it twice not saying that's likely here on May whatever it is 6th or 9th or whatever but that just shows if if team like Washington Pittsburgh jumps up into that top 3 it changes this conversation completely it's a good point it changes this completely now you're not talking about them you know, entering this rebuild phase. It's kind of a, a, a rejuvenized shot in the arm, and now you are riding off into the sunset with, you know, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, kind of handing the, the franchise over to the next wave, you know, let alone if they were to get the, the top pick in Connor Bedard, things like that. So there's a lot that can happen, but it, it's just it's a little sad for me because like, you know, I, I've, you've always heard from like the generation ahead of us, like, Oh, you know, getting to watch these guys and having them retire and blah, blah, blah. It's just sad that we're entering into that phase with like, you know, in high school and all that stuff. I watch Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin religiously. Um, and so it's just, it's going to be interesting. Cause I think we are entering into a new phase of the NHL. Uh, I think that the next wave of young players is really exciting, uh, electric, skilled, I know people are 50-50 on Trevor Zegras, you know, as a personality, but, like, who can argue with that kind of talent level? And I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming into the league and really starting to take over. And so that part's exciting, Um, but it's going to be weird to start seeing Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, you know, on the second page of things, if you will.
0: Calgary moving on from their GM. Oh, they are. It's happening right now. So, we're, uh, <laughs> and I, I, so that's another coaching change I'm anticipating. I, I,
1: Megan, so I actually, I don't think so.
0: Really? Just some
1: of the chatter. And now look, maybe a new GM comes in and says, you know, we're not doing this anymore with, with Sutter. Some of the folks I've spoken to think that they're kind of committed to him there for at least one more year. It's going to be fascinating because this did, this season did not go at, all how Calgary planned it.
0: No, I personally like Sutter, and Mm -hmm. he reminds me a lot, and I hate to talk about Greg Cronin all the time, but he reminds me a lot, but the reason Greg Cronin works in the American League is because he is effective in communicating with young players, and I think that's where it's difficult with Sutter in Calgary Mm. is he's not dealing with developing the young minds of players. He's dealing with established players, and that can be a really difficult task to get through to players who already have an idea of their identity exactly how they want to play how they want to be utilized and it can be really hard to get everybody on board if there are odds
1: totally Nazem Kadri made an interesting comment earlier this year and I've mentioned it a couple times about really really good teams great teams versus championship teams and he talked about how the messaging on championship team teams comes from in the room a great team you can be a great team And the messaging comes from the coaching staff and, you know, a strong head coach and things like that. And I I wondered at the time if he was, you know, kind of saying something there, like that leadership isn't quite in the room yet. And I think that's maybe where a guy like Sutter, you can't have him be the strongest voice. I wouldn't swap Sutter for Bednar ever, but I think a guy like Sutter could fit in on a team like last year's Colorado Avalanche group better. And I say last year because there's no Gabe this year, but where it's like, yeah, you don't need him to go in and deliver the message to the players. They get it. I think you don't quite have that in Calgary and it's leading to some of that being at odds. And I think a big part of that is that there was massive change over this year in Calgary.
0: Absolutely. So many new personnel and players. So many.
1: You, You lose Giordano the year before then you lose Goudreau, then you lose Kachuk. That's your enti- that, That's genuinely, Megan, like if the Avs lost uh, Gabe Landeskog, then Nathan McKinnon, then Miko Rantanen in the span of 12 months. Yeah, even if you replace that with three very good players, it's just going to look different, and it's going to feel different, and there's going to be new voices in the room and new guys trying to carve out, okay, well, I was brought in to be a top-end player, but... To your point, I haven't been here as long as some of these other guys. I haven't been established in this room. And then you've got a personality like Sutter. It just, I think it was just this weird combination. So that's part of the reason why I think they stick with Sutter at least part of the way through next year. They're going to give themselves some runway here to see if they can course correct without massive sweeping changes.
0: I think we can gear up, to for the Chicago-Arizona conversation because Mm -hmm. these are two groups that are also looking to this year's draft and hopefully gearing up for some changes. And honestly, I framed it in the piece as the Connor Bedard sweepstakes era, but it's bigger than just that. Even if not Bedard, this is a deep draft that is going to change the course for both of these teams no matter what acquisition they're able to get. I think starting with Chicago— You were able to sit down with Jay and talk about the future of that team. I'm curious, too, because I didn't watch either of these interviews just yet. So I had my view on how the season went for each Arizona and Chicago. And Chicago is one that interests me more because I think there's a lot more uncertainty for me with what happens in the direction that Chicago is to move from here.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And, And part of the reason why, Megan, you and I talked about we thought these were especially relevant to talk with, with both Jay from CHO and then Craig Morgan from PHNX. These are two Central Division teams. And yes, they're bottoming out right now. But to your point, and the point we made just a minute ago, talking about Washington and Arizona, this draft here in just a couple of months changes, could potentially change the landscape of the Central Division for 15 years. And, and, and with the way that both these teams... Arizona and Chicago are kind of approaching uh, approach this season the way that it went for both. Arizona maybe overachieves a little bit. Uh Chicago things kind of go exactly to plan. They finish in the bottom 3. Um you know they they they, they move on from guys like Kane, uh Debrinkat, and to your point Jonathan Taves leaving this summer. These are fascinating teams in in, in same same but different ways than what we were just talking about with Teams like Pittsburgh and Washington who have been up here and are now starting the descent. These are teams that have been down here and and are starting this climb out. Um, So yeah, we'll go ahead and drop in both of these interviews here. And look, I I spoke with both of them for quite a bit. So these are nice kind of lengthy interviews, great conversations. Both Jay and Craig uh, do phenomenal jobs covering both of these teams. Uh, So we'll drop them in right here and just fascinating perspective on where these teams are at. And, and again, these have huge implications on the Central Division. Before we play these, did you just want to say anything else about how you kind of saw these two, or do you just want to let these go? Um,
0: other than just letting them go, I feel a lot of optimism surrounding what Arizona becomes in the future. I think they <sighs> have a lot of potential to become a headache in the Central Division.
1: I agree. And it, I it, wanted
0: to shout that out.
1: If they get any draft lottery luck here, I'm with you. I've actually had this one kind of earmarked as a potential... We've talked about who can be that ABS rival. Now that Arizona's in the central, I really do think that there is potential here. Even over the last three, four years, there has been some sneaky, bad blood between these teams. It seems like every time the Abs and the Coyotes get together, there's nastiness after the whistle, there's fights, uh, you know, there, there's, there's big hits, and they're entertaining games, even with all the struggles that Arizona has had, They've kind of had the Avs number in the sense that, like, they always give them a good game. I think they get some lottery luck here. To your point, some of the pieces that they're adding, Logan Cooley. Logan Cooley. This has a potential to be a, a great head-to-head matchup with the Central for a few years. So uh, we'll roll, we'll roll, roll Chicago, will roll Arizona, uh, and just kind of let you guys hear from Craig and Jay. All right, and now we'll head down uh, to Arizona. Good buddy Craig Morgan, who does a fantastic job uh covering the arizona coyotes for phnx uh craig first of all good to see you appreciate it i know it's crazy times right now uh in arizona not probably a fun season for you but maybe a little bit better than we all expected at the beginning of the year
2: um i'm used to it by now jesse uh uh, yeah i i would say that they overachieved a bit specifically at mullet arena where You know, Mullet Arena was the butt of jokes when we started the season, and then the Coyotes just started winning games there. They won 21 games this year, you know, which is not elite, but it's middle of the pack in the NHL, uh, which is not what anyone expected. Like When this season started, I couldn't find an analyst who thought that the Coyotes were anything close to a a playoff bubble team. Most thought they'd be 32nd (laughs) in the NHL. They ended up finishing with the sixth worst record. So, yeah, they overachieved.
1: Yeah, no, it was, they were a fun team to watch. Like Andre Tourney seemed like he he had, you know, he, he pressed the right buttons. And I think that's important. You know, we talk, you and I have talked before about Jared Bednar and kind of the culture he established here for the abs. It feels like maybe that same thing uh, is starting to form in Arizona. So I know we're, we, we have the, the, the draft lottery odds were officially announced yesterday. I know we're still a ways from that. Let's just say, I'm not hoping for this for your guys' sake. Let's say they don't get Bedard. Yeah. What is what does this kind of look like here over the next season or two? They overachieved this year. Are, are they on an upswing? There's a lot of good young players coming through.
2: There are, and you know, we we still are waiting on a decision from Logan Cooley to see whether he's going to yep. go back to the University of Minnesota for one more season before joining the Coyotes. That honestly, don't think they'd mind if he goes back, but if he does sign, they'll they'll get their development hands on him and, and get him going. There are a lot of people yeah. who think he's now a franchise player uh, shout out to Chris Peters, who had him ranked number one on his draft board last year, going into the draft. He, wow. he is He's looking a lot like the best player out of that draft right now, but we'll see there's a lot to be proven. Um, right. Having said that this prospect pipeline is nowhere near complete. Bill Armstrong said it himself after the trade deadline, we're only about 50% of the way through the rebuild. Now they've acquired wow. a lot of draft assets. They have 47 draft picks over the next four <laughs> seasons, which is insane. Please. Um,
1: they're,
2: they're not going to execute all those they're probably going to use those to finally start trading for some young players that can grow with this group but yeah we saw the emergence of clayton keller this season into yeah. a bona fide nhl superstar lawson Krauss has really emerged as a goal scorer matthias michelli's in the calder trophy conversation and they've yep. got a couple guys on the back end and Yusuf Alamaki and and jj mosher who may not be top pair guys but they've proven that they can play in the nhl in log heavy minutes so there are a lot of pieces here to work with if they don't get bedard <laughs> I, I just think it extends it a little bit you know you yeah listen, listen let's be honest here and i know i've been banging this drum forever you don't win cups without elite players and logan cooley may be a yeah. guy yep. but i don't think anyone's saying that logan cooley is nathan McKinnon or <laughs> or Patrick Kane, or you want me to go through the list of all the cup winners and the elite players they got at one or two, you know, top two picks are really important to winning cups. You can talk all along. Oh, this is such a great organization. Well, what if they didn't get the number one or number two pick? Would they be considered such a great organization? Probably not. You need those guys to win cups. If they don't get it, they're just gonna have to keep building with more depth and they're gonna get two good picks, right? They have Ottawa's pick as well, assuming Ottawa doesn't jump oh, up right. into two yeah. or three. So they'll pick wherever they pick, whether it's six worse right now, if they get lucky and get Bedard or even Adam Fantilli, that could change things a little bit because then you get that franchise player right at the top of your lineup that speeds things along a little bit.
1: Totally. It's one of those things where like I, I want it for the coyotes. They, you know, they they went out and they played hard, they didn't tank. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about the, the players kind of had the running joke with Bill Armstrong. That every time they won a game, I was like, eh, sorry, Bill. It'd be <laughs> nice to see them get rewarded for that a bit. Do you feel good about the direction they're going? Obviously, again, everything a lot hinges on the draft. But as things kind of sit right now, where do you fall on 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 the, the path that they're on?
2: Well, I agree with the philosophy. That's what I'll say. There are a lot of people out there grading prospects and telling us this, this guy's going to be the next. Nobody knows. The, the draft is a crap <laughs> right. shoot. Nobody knows until these guys get to the NHL. So all the hype yep. about draft picks, whatever, I just block it out because nobody has a clue what they're talking about. The scouts the lottery really tickets. Will, I mean, the, the scouts will tell you, well, I don't know if he's going to pan out. You just do your best. <laughs> it's, it's educated guesswork because the NHL draft age is too young. That's the big problem there. So they're just, yeah. they're just projecting on, on kids. But I like the the philosophy. I have seen them enter rebuilds with this organization three times <laughs> and shift course midstream. Wait, it's not done yet. What are we doing here? Oh, well, let's go get Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel and go for a cup. Well, you you don't have any centers, so how are you gonna win a cup?
1: Nice. That's
2: been the problem here in the past. And it's not always the GM's fault. There's pressure from ownership. We need to make money. That's oh. always that's always an issue in this market. But it right now, it looks like GM, Bill Armstrong, and the ownership group are in lockstep on seeing this thing through. The other thing that it does is it dovetails with their plans for the new arena. If they can emerge from this as they move into a new arena, then that's the perfect scenario. But, you know, you mentioned, Emma, you asked me if I I like the direction of uh, this organization. Well, ask me in a month when (laughs) 10 voters decide the fate of the new arena, because if that goes through, things are looking really promising for the Coyotes. If it doesn't go through... Jesse, I have no clue what comes next for this franchise.
1: So, I I mean, you're you're beating me to the punch there a little bit. You know, Gary Bettman was in town. It sounded like everything was kind of moving full steam ahead, but is there a little bit of a roadblock now potentially on the new arena? Sound like, was there new opposition that came up?
2: Uh, Well, the airport uh, has been a roadblock on and off for a while. We thought it was all resolved when the Tempe City Council voted 7-0 in favor of Sending this to referendum. And by the way, every right. member of the city council supports this. All the former mayors of Tempe support this. Business leaders, the you know Chamber of Commerce, they all support this deal because right. they see what it can mean economically to Tempe for what is literally a dump site that has been sitting there for <laughs> 70 years. I know the opposition is like, well, we want to see something else done like a parkway. Let, let's put a park there. First of all, the cleanup alone negates that possibility. Who's paying for the cleanup? The city of Tempe right. doesn't have the money for it. So I, sometimes when I hear the arguments for what they want on that site, I feel like I'm talking to children. Are you that naive <laughs> that you think that that's what's going to happen on this expensive piece of real estate that, by the way, needs nearly a $100 million cleanup? And I, I think I've lost my train of thought here, Jesse, but I'm uh, I'm just rambling because there's so much stuff. But Batman, yeah, Batman's in right. town. The airport is there again. But the airport, the, the lawsuit, we'll see how that plays out. There are all sorts of legal opinions on whether they have a case or not. But that can't stop the arena from going forward. They have an agreement in place. Theoretically, if the Coyotes want to break ground the day after the vote gets approved, they can do that. They won't, of course, because there's all sorts of examination of the the site. Uh, I think they have to involve the Army Corps of Engineers because they have to clean up a site that could leak into the river. It's a toxic waste dump. So they have to clean it up. They have to – they have a lot. There's a lot of work there. So they have to probably assess before they can get shovels in the ground. But again – the vote will go through. These lawsuits cannot stop the vote. They will not stop the vote. And they cannot stop the Coyotes from breaking ground on the arena. What they can stop if they were to win the case, if it even goes to court without a settlement, right, right they could stop the those residences, those multi-story residences from being built. Oh. And, and let's be honest – Alex Merrill is not gonna make his money off the arena. He's going to make his money yeah. off of all yeah. the ancillary stuff built around there. Wow. So if the residences get blocked, now you're talking about a major loss in revenue.
1: Wow. Okay. So that's that's kind of the issue right now is yeah, the, the, yeah, the big money maker is is the part that's in jeopardy. It's one of them, right? They're,
2: they're putting right. restaurants, they're putting a lot of other stuff there as well. But yeah, that's that's significant
1: yeah no no kidding I, and and, yeah. and again that's one that that i'd love to see go through because when i know when i was out there you were kind of showing us around where it's going to be T- to the point you're making like it, it just makes too much sense right for, for that to go there what else are you going to put there who's going to pay for it um yeah you hope that goes through then i just keep pounding the drum that once that goes through there's your ticket to austin matthews and there's your elite player correct?
2: yeah i mean <laughs> listen there the the best case scenario I've heard for them moving in, and maybe they're maybe they're playing it safe, is that they wouldn't move in until the 25-26 season. So yeah. if you're if you're talking about Austin Matthews, and I know people still dream about it here, you are talking, you're you're asking Austin Matthews, hey, do you want to come and play in Mullet Arena for two seasons on a team that Mm, probably isn't there yet I that's that's a tough sell for me I have a hard time believing Austin Matthews is coming home if he were signed for one more season in Toronto and they could say hey it's one year and then we're ready we're ready to go maybe because he loves it here he cares about this state he literally comes here whenever he has free time he's really good friends with Clayton Keller and Christian Fisher who are both Coyotes as you know so there's a lot of lure for Austin Matthews but Right now, the situation for the franchise makes me believe it's a really tough sell for Austin Matthews.
1: Man, I I genuinely do. I want to see good things for the Coyotes because I think it's it's, it's a franchise, and and the way that Gary Bettman puts it, I agree. I think the NHL needs to be in Arizona, and I think it's a a very underrated, important market. So, yeah, I hope all that stuff gets sorted out quickly. Uh, Craig, I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, I know end of season is always a bit chaotic, so I appreciate you taking the time.
2: No problem at all. Jesse, always great talking to you.
1: All right. And uh, now we've got Jay Zawoski from our great friends over at uh, CHGO Blackhawks. Jay, I thought this conversation was uh, particularly fitting because we spoke uh, the night before uh, the opening uh, game of the season. So I guess just my first question for you. We all knew it was going to be tough sledding for the Hawks this year, but did this kind of play out the way you were expecting it to?
3: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, early in the season they had – maybe a little bit more talent on the roster than I was comfortable with, with, you know, (laughs) Max Domi and and you and Kane and Taves and, you know, you kind of go up and down Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. Um, But, you know, when the smoke clears here, they're going to be dependent on what happens uh, tonight with the Blue Jackets. They're going to be either the third worst or second worst team in the NHL. And I think that's probably about what we expected. It's been, you know, this kind of every night, on our show we do the tank standings and we do our yeah. uh, tank thon wheel spin and and see how we can get counter-bedard here, right? That's been the focus really all year. But I think for, for the most part, this has gone exactly how we thought it was going to.
1: How many times have you guys run the simulator on your show?
3: Oh, my. I, <laughs> I, I mean, we did 82 post-game shows. We probably do at least two a night. So, yeah, I, I would say probably um, – you know, 150 or so, and you add up all the bonus. We we say, hey, if you want a bonus spin, we need 10 more likes, and it it seems yeah. it seems to convert pretty well. So
1: it's there. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, so no, it's funny you say that.
1: It's funny you say that about the beginning of the season because they were one of the teams. You know, in that first seven to ten games, like they were outperforming some expectations, and I was I was kind of laughing. I was like, oh no, watch them. You know, pull together and and go on this. You know, half like mediocre run um but so you mentioned you know the beginning of the year there was a lot more talent on the roster than how it ended Jonathan Taves does play his final game as a Blackhawk yesterday uh it was announced by uh the the Hawks that they won't be re-signing him obviously there was a lot that surrounded the why he wasn't moved at the deadline with you know Mm -hmm. the I don't necessarily know if you want to call it an injury was it at any level disappointing for you that they weren't able to move Jonathan Taves in season and get something back for him? Or were you happy with kind of the, the send off yesterday? Uh, I
3: think the answer is kind of both, right? I think both things can be true. Um, The head says, let's gather as many assets as we can and load up for the draft as much as we can and hurt the NHL roster as much as we can. Right. right? But um, throughout yesterday's festivities, you know, GM Kyle Davidson spoke in the morning we talked to Luke Richardson before the game and and he made a point of saying, you know, there's not a lot of players in this game that get to have something like Jonathan Taves is going to have tonight That's a where he gets the send off from the home fans. And it is a, you know, two and a half hour Jonathan Taves tribute from the Blackhawks and his teammates and the opponent and the fans and everybody. Um, so I think the fact that Jonathan Taves was able to experience that all in all, is that worth maybe the third round pick or fourth round pick a team might have given up for him? I think so. For Hawks fans to have that memory, for Jonathan Taves to have that memory, um, scores the goal too. Valuable.
1: It scores a goal and you know, kind of a nice. Yeah, a and nice then he way gets a breakaway
3: in overtime, and the place, <laughs> you know, the roof's about to blow off the place, and he yeah. just misses. Even you know, it's it's an inch wide, and yeah. then uh, Provorov goes the other way and scores and ends the game. Um, it was just a perfect night. And Jonathan Tave said so afterwards, you know, and it's kind of hard to read the tea leaves on him sometimes, but, mm-hmm. I, and while he hasn't made a formal decision, it certainly sounds like based on the things he was saying, that retirement is definitely on the table and he might be leaning that way. Yeah, a couple wow. weeks ago, he said, when referring to what could happen next year, he said, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. And, wow. We discussed it on last night's show. I don't know how Jonathan Taves is going to get himself after everything he's been through health wise, uh, everything he's been through mentally, everything he's been through physically to go find that will to get his body ready for another demanding NHL season in a city that doesn't love him like Chicago does. I don't know how he gets to that point. He was clearly emotional last night. He said, you know, I've always considered myself as someone who would retire a Blackhawk, and it's something I still think about. So if I was handicapping it, I would bet Jonathan Taze retires, but he's also one of the most competitive guys in the world. And if he starts feeling yeah. better in a couple of months, he might say, you know what, I'm going to give it one more run and see what I can do. Yeah. I just feel like when you factor in the long COVID and the chronic immune response syndrome and all the concussions and everything he's achieved in his career, there's yeah. nothing more for him to prove. There's nothing more for him to do. He is an instant Hall of Famer. His number will be retired. He will, uh, you know, he'll have a statue outside United Center. Jonathan Taze has done everything anyone could ever dream of doing in hockey. And I think last night was a bit of a reminder
1: to him of that. No, totally. It's, it's like you said, it's not just the, does he want to play? It's the toll on his body and, and, and you know, getting himself back into shape and all that stuff. There's a lot to, to consider I I'm sure if he does come back, there are going to be teams lining up around the block to, to, to get his services, but um, it's going to be interesting. So we know he won't be back for the Hawks next year. That's the one thing we know. Jay, how do you, how do you kind of picture the way this team is going to look next year? Obviously a lot of that depends on the draft. If they land Bedard, that kind of changes everything. Uh, But as it stands right now, today, what April 14th, how do you see this team next year? and, 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 how much longer do you think that they are in kind of this on, on the downside of this rebuild before you can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel?
3: Well, it's an interesting way to put it because I think people that have been paying attention, aren't seeing this as like a downside. They're seeing this mm-hmm. as the way back up. Right. I think yeah. if you're looking at the graph, the arrow is already starting to point up a little bit. Yeah. Their, okay. franchise, their, you know, prospect system jumped from like 25th to 5th, in one year, whoever they get in this draft, be it Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Mitch Cobb, whatever, that player immediately becomes their number one prospect. Yep. They've got another first round pick. They've got uh, two more next year. Like They have just this abundance of riches in terms of draft capital. Now, Kyle Davidson said yesterday that the average team, you get an NHL player per draft, right? Yep. That's kind of the, the league average. Put it. Now, With all the assets they have, it's going to be a little more than that, but If they can convert two or three of these guys per draft, all of a sudden things are looking up. They had a really good draft last year. So when I look at the team next year, what we do know about Kyle Davidson is he's incredibly patient. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Lucas Reichel is going to be a full-time NHL player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We're going to see some of the defensemen that spent part of the year here, kind of up and down between Rockford. They'll probably become permanent fixtures while Rockford fills in with a couple of the draft picks from last year and the year before, so that, that cycle is going to start going. I yeah. do think you're going to see some veterans brought in here too. I think there's a possibility that Max Domi comes back. Andreas Athanasiu ended up leading the Blackhawks in scoring. If you want to know how the Hawks season went, he was their leading scorer with 40 points. Um, so he uh, so he might be back. Um, and don't forget the possibility of, hey, this team wants to make his big free agent splash, or they're up against the cap. And, hey, the Hawks will take on your draft assets and take on your bad mm-hmm. contracts because the Hawks, I can't believe I'm saying this, they have to get to the cap floor, yeah. let alone the cap ceiling. And with Taves and Kane off the <laughs> book, $21 million. You traded McCabe, that was $4 million. Um, You know, So your highest-paid player, obviously, Seth Jones making nine and a half. But aside from that, it's going to be a struggle to get to the cap floor. So I think when you look at somebody – I'll I'll use Max Domi as an example because Chicago fans really liked him. He liked it here. Whereas yeah. if he get if he's a, a free agent in Dallas, says, "All right, we're going to bring you back for three million, and you're going to be our third line winger." The Hawks can say, "We're going to bring you back for five million, right? When I get to the cap floor, and you're going to be our first line center." You know what I mean? Like I right. think there's some appeal there. So it is going to be not just you know the Rockford Blackhawks. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Yeah. there. We have seen what happens in this organization and around the league when prospects get rushed. It has ruined Adam Boquist. Totally. You could argue it ruined Kirby Dock. Henry Haryu probably hasn't developed into the star defenseman he could have because yep. they were drafted and rushed to the NHL and not allowed to develop. We got frustrated as fans and observers when Lucas Reichel didn't start this year. But the Lucas Reichel we saw in his first call-up versus the guy that ended the season – they're totally different players. They're completely yeah. different players. And Reichel is so much better because of the time he spent in Rockford, playing in all situations, playing top minutes, playing against top competition. So now he's ready to step in. I would bet that Lucas Reichel is a Blackhawks leading scorer next year. I mean, I wouldn't bet against you. <laughs> if he's not, if he's right there, it's going to be neck and neck with whatever veteran they bring in, be it Domi or whoever. Right. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. So I think you're going to see a mix of short-term veteran contracts to bridge that gap between kids coming up and you're probably still going to see them in top five picks again next year, mm-hmm. but they're not, I don't think the mindset this year is finished as poorly as possible right. to get that top overall pick. I do think there's going to be a little bit more of a focus on trying to win, trying to compete. And just because of talent, they won't be able to, but right. I, I think it's going to be a little more fun to watch this year. because Maybe, maybe closer. To root for losses. And it's weird. It's a weird <laughs> place to be.
1: Yeah. So next year, maybe closer to like what Arizona did this year, where it's like, hey, fun, exciting team. You yes. know, they're, they're, they're putting the effort in, but like you said, just not having the talent uh necessarily to compete. And then just, I just wanted to make this quick little comment about the, as frustrating as it can be sometimes as observers to, you know, gosh, you want to see these guys. Abs fans went through that with Kale McCarr a few years ago when he chose to stay for the second year in college, Mm -hmm. everyone just, they wanted him to get there and and you understood why, but he talks even today about what a massive difference that second year made. And and you see the, you know, you see the returns on it. He steps into an NHL playoff game scores, you know, in the first period. And so sometimes taking it that little bit slower can help. And uh, my, I guess my last question for you here. One of the things that I appreciated about what the Blackhawks did this year, and you know, you've been talking about it this whole time, I get so frustrated. Whether it's in hockey or any other sport, when teams get kind of stuck in this weird cycle where they're not willing to commit to the rebuild, and they really just kind of end up in purgatory. Yes. The Hawks committed to the rebuild, and, and, and you know, they're stripping it down. How do you, Jay, like yourself, feel about the direction of where this is going? Do you feel like they're on the right track, or there's still adjustments to be made?
3: Yes, this is long overdue. And when you look around the league and you see teams like Nashville, you know that are kind of like middling it. They're never a cup threat. They're never going to get that top five pick that's going to change their franchise. They're just very willing to make that one round playoff revenue and call it a day. (laughs) Seats full. That keeps you in hell for twenty years, thirty years. Right? That that's that is not the way to win. And this Hawks rebuild is overdue. And what I love about Kyle Davidson is he has been ruthless. You think about a first, listen to this, a first year GM came in, has never jammed in this league before. He traded Brandon Hagel, Alex DeBrinket, Kirby Doc, Patrick Kane, Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, and he is walking away from the greatest captain in franchise history. And he said yesterday me focusing on nostalgia and the past is doing nothing for this organization's future. Damn. That's it. Yeah. And as a fan, it can be hard and you don't, you know, it's difficult to watch Jonathan Tays walk away. It's going to be weird. And as much as your brain says, this makes perfect sense. And trading Patrick, Patrick Kane makes perfect sense. It doesn't make it easy, but it's a GM's job to do the difficult things. And Kyle Davidson has not been afraid of it, whether or not this pays off remains to be seen. But when we look at the early returns of everything he's done, aside from the hurt feelings and the sadness, I don't know how you can be critical of it. He's hired a totally. terrific head coach. I mean, the Hawks, for as little talent as they had, were competitive in 75 of the 82 games they played mm-hmm. with Peter Morazik and Alex Staylock putting <laughs> time in net when they weren't hurt. Like, this right. team gave themselves a shot to win every night, and they just didn't have the guns. And the fact that you can have a team compete as hard as they did with all of the distractions this year – with all of the roster moves, with all the new faces, that speaks volumes. And every player today that spoke had nothing but praise for Luke Richardson. And Kyle Davidson yesterday said, I can't think of a single misstep that Luke Richardson wow. had all year. And I agree with him. I think he has been absolutely terrific. The Hawks knocked it out of the park with this hire. And it's great to know that when this team is ready to compete again, they've got the guy to lead that next generation. He's already here. There's no Bridge Manners, no Dennis Savard here.
1: Like there was before Joel
3: Quendell. Luke Richardson is the guy and now and going forward.
1: That's a great point you make about Kyle Davidson being a first year GM. I hadn't really thought about that. You know, that 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 takes a a a pretty big pair to to come in as a first year GM and, and say, This is what I'm doing. I'm gutting it, you know, and, and and starting over. And again, I just I make the parallels you're talking about, you know, coaching. I make the parallels to the abs again. Jared Bednar comes in, they have the 48-point year. It's a disaster, but they said. No, we believe in what he's doing. We are seeing what he's building behind the scenes. This is the guy. Five years later, he's leading your team to a Stanley Cup. So that yep. is an, a sneaky, underrated, underrated big part of this having that guy in place. Uh, you know, he's as important as any of the players that you can put on the ice.
3: Yeah. And before we wrap up, I don't know if you yeah. have any more questions, but I just want to remind you and the Avalanche fans listening <laughs> we talk about this all the time. When we started our season in Denver, where we met you guys for the first time, did our show together, I (laughs) pleaded with all of you to cherish what you're having in Colorado, to make sure you do not grow tired of the regular (laughs) season games and the dominance and, oh, just get me to the playoffs. I was saying last night to Greg and Mario, fellas, what I would give for a regular season game that mattered again. it's crazy and for years and years from 2009 to 2016 it was like regular season please don't waste my time with this nonsense (laughs) just give me to the playoffs like I watch my team dominate again and it's gone like that it's gone the Hawks have not won a playoff series since they won the Stanley Cup
1: Holy smokes. Yep. Jay, that, I needed that reminder more than anything else. Cause I'll be honest with you. That's how I've spent the last three weeks going like, come on, let's like, let's get this going. Let's get to the end. So that is a nice reminder, even for me, because it, it's so easy to take that for granted.
3: It's yeah. so
1: easy to take that for granted.
3: It's fleeting. It will, it'll be gone before you know it. And even if you get like the Hawks did a three-year run, a dominant decade, um, yeah. you know, that that's great, but it's, it's over. I mean, think about like the Hawks' greatness lasted six years. Yeah. Seven years.
1: Well, and, it. and it's funny you say that because even going back to the start of last season to now, like it's a blur. Two seasons are gone. Oh, yeah. And like it's it's just it's crazy. Um, Jay, I'm already taking more of your time than I than I told you I'd take. I super appreciate okay. it. Uh, make sure you guys are following uh all of the CHGO Blackhawks uh contributors. You guys do phenomenal work over there, and it's gonna be a big summer for uh, for you guys, and look, this is central division. This all of this stuff impacts uh, the ABS and and the future of the central. So make sure you guys uh, are following Jay, Mario, uh, and Greg, and just CHO Blackhawks in general. Uh, Jay, really appreciate.
0: Welcome back. <laughs> so we're we have series previews out for all of the matchups right now, yeah. including talking about Seattle, Colorado. So I understand you probably expect us to talk about that matchup game ones tomorrow. I'm really excited for yep. it but go to our YouTube, which you're already on if you're watching this, and there's a playlist created with all of these videos if you wanna hear some of our thoughts about this Seattle-Colorado matchup. Maybe we'll
1: even have Yaya drop in the Avs Seattle one at the end of this. So it just kind of I plays right it. at the end, or at least a piece of it, maybe our predictions, something like that. But yeah, we- uh, great idea. We spent about four hours in the studio here on Saturday uh, building out all these previews. So instead of just regurgitating everything we said, uh, yeah, go check those out. We'll drop in a piece of it uh, here at the end. Uh, but yeah, there's just there's a lot of stuff we want to get to, like we said, before the playoffs actually kick off, because that will be taking Absolutely. 95% of our attention here for the next couple months.
0: Definitely. It'd be funny if we gave different predictions here than we did in the Right, I was going to say, you. that's also
1: the other thing. I don't want to like contradict myself. <laughs> there's been a lot of stuff that has been coming through my brain here in the last 48
0: hours. No, I understand that completely. So we'll, we'll finish out the show with a conversation a little bit about conditioning and recovery, because... I think it's a conversation we've been unable to avoid this year, not just in talking about Gabriel Landeskog and his rehabilitation, but in looking at the number of injuries the Yavs have had, the varying nature of injuries that they've had, too, has made this a difficult conversation to navigate because no matter your team, no matter the organization, I think when injuries happen like this and as many stack up in this way, people become concerned with the conditioning staff and the medical staff and the decisions that get made. So I wanted to start with everything that we've heard this year from players and from Bednar reasonably is an endorsement of the staff that they have on hand. They have trust in the staff and the decisions that are made um, and find them to be fully capable of these decisions. And I just wanted to talk about it a little bit, how, how you've heard that conversation play out too.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting, Megan, because like you said, there 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 seems to be the knee jerk reaction of what's going on. Are they not getting the proper treatment? Are they not getting you know the one that I that you hear all the time is like, are they not preparing them for games well enough? And I really do. I think in a year like this, been kind of freak injuries. You know what I mean? Like stuff that you can't really prepare for. Broken
0: hand, concussion protocols. Not sure exactly what the nature of McKinnon's injury was, but mm-hmm. it didn't keep him out terribly
1: long. Right. You know, Josh Manson, it was one where they got him all the way back to full health. Small thing happens, tweaks it again. You know, you even look at Gabe Landeskog, right? And you can, you can find it. I, you can find the tweet either in Sundays at the Rink, or uh, I did retweet it, All right, I quote tweeted it. Um, I think it was on Friday. What the the thing that starts all of this is like the the freakiest of freak injuries. It's it's a skate cut across the knee. Right with Landis Scott. Right. And, and so it's just like all of this stuff is it's stuff you can't predict for or it's stuff you can't predict, you can't prepare for, none of that. All you can do is is work your hardest to get back. And I think that's the part that being back in the locker room this year really did give me just that extra level of appreciation for what all of these injured players go through to get back. And it's, it's the mental side of it. It's the work in the gym. It's the work with the trainers. And I had a conversation with Nathan McKinnon at the beginning of the year when he came back from his injury. And I, I told him, I said, this is a stupid question. It's Nice to be back though, right? And he mentioned the part that is the most difficult is he said, we've got our routines here. I know, and I'm going to, I don't remember exactly what he said, but you know, I know I get up and I have my, my, you know, I have a workout and I have my breakfast and I get to the rink, I do this and then I lift and then we get on the ice and then we do that and then we have meetings and we do this and then I go home and you start the recovery process and you know, all that stuff and you get back and you do the next day. And he goes, when you're rehabbing, all of that is thrown out of whack. It's you get up and you start rehab. And you start working on this and and you're working with the trainers and you're stretching and you're building strength back and and you're not around the team and you're not traveling. And he was he was just saying, like, it's a completely different grind. And all you want is to get back to get out of this other grind that is just out of the ordinary for you.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it's come up from different players like Josh Manson and talking about the mental toll of rehabilitating an injury at points this season. Part of it's being away from the main group. He even talked about how it can be sad. I don't know if that's the word he used, but to practice alone when you're doing just yeah. those, you know, before the group gets together with Sean Laird passing pucks around, that can become a little sad to not be around the team on the ice. And I think the mental toll it takes is an interesting side in all of that in the recovery. And it's why I appreciated that they brought all of the players on that last road trip so yes, that they could total. be around one another this time of year and, and why I appreciate it too, that the charity brunch and the gala also happened at the end of the year to have these team events to bring guys injured or not back together.
1: A hundred percent. It's, it's, I think it's such an underrated part of this. And, and again, I'm going to draw a parallel here that I know before I even say it is nowhere close to what we're talking about here, but I, you know, I'm so excited to see what this is. So last year going through the playoff run, um, I was, you know, lucky enough and, and you know, I'm heading to Seattle on Friday. So, you know, hopefully we're we're hopefully we're in for another long run here, Megan, where where, you know, I get to feel worn down by the travel at the end. But there were times, you know, the it was the um game six in St. Louis in particular. What a moment, right? It, that's one of those ones that I, I you know, I, I will always, you know, remember sitting there and, and watching that play almost kind of unfold in slow motion, all that great stuff is, was, was, was great. You know, but I just remember after and getting on Twitter and, and I'm back at the hotel room and I'm writing and, you know, getting stuff cranked out. And I just remember seeing all the stuff on, on Twitter, you know, the videos of, of the bar here, you guys on the set, uh, you know, just people, just everyone just kind of, you know, rallying around what an, what an amazing moment that was. Um, and I remember being like, damn, I'm out here, you know, doing something, I'm, I'm, I'm working just as hard as they are, you know, we're, we're all pulling the rope in the same direction, but it's just a little different being here in St. Louis in the hotel room by myself, you know, going through all this stuff. And it, it is just one of those things where it's like, you have to be able to be mentally going back to the NHL side of things. You have to be mentally strong enough to be able to work through that stuff on your own. Or with, you know, out there with Sean Laird And knowing that, yeah, the team, huge win last night. Oh my gosh, what a big comeback. And they win it in overtime. Big emotional win. They all get on the plane, smacking high fives. Woo, let's get out there. Oh, we're going, you know, we're going to Vegas. We got a day off or whatever. And you've got a bucket of pucks and an empty sheet of ice. You have to be mentally tough enough to push through that. And that's where I don't think, forget just the abs this year. I don't know if pro athletes get enough credit for being able to flip the mindset like that and and, and be able to work through this stuff. And, And I also don't think pro athletes get enough credit for, like these are special human beings. You have to be wired a special way. I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole. There's a player that you and I have talked about before. And we say that's the one thing that we've always worried about with him is does he have that mental side to get there? And I think that's an underrated part of what it takes to compete at that level. And it's part of the reason why you see so many of these players that after they retire, go on to you know, live very successful lives, whether it be in business, owning companies, or, or in management in the sports side of it, because they understand what it takes and they understand that mental grind. And I think so much of that is what helps them get through these long injury stretches. I you know, think of a guy like Josh Manson. This has been a brutal year for him. He said the other day, this has been the most challenging year of his career. And he hasn't played in a ton of games. That should tell you how hard it is to rehab and get back to a point where you can compete at that level.
0: Absolutely. I imagine it's an isolating experience and why it's so difficult for players to retire and step away from the sport because deviating from a routine that you've had your entire life, where in parts of it is being around the group, has to be really challenging. And... We talk about pro habits and how different types of development paths prepare players with pro habits. And it maybe sounds like too big of an umbrella term, but part of pro habits is the commitment to how they take care of themselves away from the rink. And this has become an emerging theme for the Avalanche group this year because Bednar talks about it at length, how even around the deadline, McFarland talked about how players take care of themselves is culturally what will make them fit in with this group, too. And I talked to Logan O'Connor, and I feel bad because I went to him and I said, you've had a good track record with your health this year. And he knocked on his head. (laughs) So hopefully that didn't do anything. But (laughs) I asked him about what he does to take care of himself and what his approach to conditioning is. And I think it is interesting that the first thing he said is that he looks to Nate and that the group looks to Nate. And I wanted to talk about this because I know McKinnon has sort of drawn – criticism for this quality in him in the past. And I wanted to provide a little more context because the way that Logan O'Connor described how the team looks to him, it makes a lot of sense. One, it sounds voluntary. It sounds as if players look to McKinnon because they want to, because they admire how he approaches conditioning. And part of it that O'Connor mentions is the resources that McKinnon has because he is a top athlete in the world He has explored a lot of different options and has found through his research a lot of best available options in terms of nutrition, supplements, um, these other things that they could seek out, whether it be like red light therapy, cryotherapy, I'm sure acupuncture, all of these things, diet too, just like how they eat every single day. I don't think this is something that he is commanding. I think they're looking to him for input and for insight in how to approach this because through his resources, he has found some of the best possible methods and they obviously work for him because they see how he's emerged as a top talent just gets better every single year. And I, I liked the way that was explained. It, it wasn't painting Nathan McKinnon as this strict Tyrant. ruler yeah. in the locker room, but rather a wealth of knowledge. So
1: go back to Nate's first... I think it was a 90-point season or whatever the...
0: The one that was nearly there. Yeah.
1: Was it... Was it 20... I I think it was the year that they... uh, It was the year after the 48-point season. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to get it pulled up here. 18. Yeah, but it was... He went... So it was. It was 17-18. He went from a career high in his rookie year of 63 points to a 97-point player. He's never looked back, right? He's been among the elite of the elite. I'm expecting to be a Hart Trophy finalist for the third or fourth time here in just a couple months. And he talks about it was that summer I decided to start. I didn't want to be a good player anymore. I wanted to be a great player. I wanted to be an elite player. I wanted to be a top player in this league. And to your point, he started investing in his health his nutrition, his body, the way he trains, the way he recovers after games. That was one of the most fascinating things that I found when all of this stuff kind of started breaking after the Nikita Zadorov interview a couple of years ago was how Nate talked about that, especially in the playoffs, he's got a guy who he lives here in Colorado during the season and after games, Nathan McKinnon goes home and recovers. With this, I don't necessarily know if you want to call it a trainer or a nutritionist or I, you know, whatever. But he said, your adrenaline is running so high anyways, you're not sleeping for hours. That's when I start recovering. And I, it's how can you not, if you're on that team, how can you not look at what he's doing, the success he's had and the way he drives this team commands greatness out of himself? How can you not look at that and say, if he can do that, I have to do that. I want to know what you're doing. You know, Megan, like if if I was coming in, you know, here every day and you were here two hours before me and you, you know, you had a, you know, I'm just going to make a false equivalent here. You know, a a, a journalism teacher that, you you know, you had at at DU and you're constantly leaning on them. Hey, here's what I wanted to do. Here's the kind of article I'm wanting to write. Here's this, that and the other. And you're constantly pulling from resources. I couldn't like me personally. I couldn't sit there and be like, well, I can't do anything short of what she's doing. You know what I mean? Like it's that same type of pressure that I don't think it's that you would be putting that on me. It'd be pressure. that I'm like, well, I want to match the level that she's at, you know, she's putting in, you know, five hours before I even show up. I need to be doing that. And I think that's kind of what you have with Nathan McKinnon, where he kind of sets a tone of like, Hey, these are the expectations that I have for myself. And if they're good enough for me, well, if they're good enough for me. I'll leave it at that. And I think it's the culture in the room. People want to follow that lead. We joke all the time now that like after a game, we're leaving the media room and they're all heading over to the weight room. And from what I've gathered, Nate was one of the ones that started that because he said, this is how I find I recover best is by working, you know, getting in a workout immediately after. They all said, well, if that's how Nate recovers best, that's how I'm recovering. It's
0: all but confirmed, too, because you're talking about the emphasis on post-game recovery and in asking O'Connor what he's adopted in his regimen that's been particularly helpful, it's post-game recovery. Verbatim, that's what he would tell you. And though I don't know the intangibles of that, I know it includes the workout after the game. And I have to imagine it's exactly for the reason you're saying this is being led by Nate. I'm sure that if players wanted to opt out, they could, but they also probably wouldn't be culturally a very good fit here
1: well and, and and again it's 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 one of those things where it's like, do you want to be the one person who's not heading over there when nineteen other guys are? I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be the only one and, and, and again, I don't think anybody would shun them for that. I don't no. think they would be you know traded immediately, but it's just these are the expectations the expectations is that you are ready to go we have you know the abs were money as much as we all hated it as much as they all hated it the abs were money in back-to-backs this year particularly in the second half you just won't convince me otherwise that this doesn't have a huge role in that they understand how to get the most out of themselves and and how to recover and how to be able to turn that around quick and and it's paying dividends
0: and i think the biggest component in all of it is the players want to
1: they want to yes yes
0: because they look to mckinnon and they see the success he has and i think that's what makes a player successful in colorado
1: I mean, too even jared bednar how yeah, many times right. have we heard him this year come into, into the locker room be like are we ready H- abs pierre will tell him no no you'll be like cool come get me i'll be in the gym no you're right like it, it's just it's it's top to bottom those are the habits and and you know i i i think back to the abs playoff video last year that played in arena before the start of every game uh, at at, at ball arena through all four rounds. It opened with Jared Bednar addressing the team in the locker room. It was just the audio. And he said, make sure your goals, your, your actions and your goals. What was it? Make sure your actions today and every day align with your goals and the goals of this team. If they don't, there's the door. You're welcome to leave. If you don't want to put in the work, if you, don't want to take, if you don't want to do what it takes to get to this level, that's fine. We don't think you're a bad guy. We are all doing that. We are doing whatever it takes. That's workouts after it. That's getting in early. That's supplementing regular pasta for chickpea pasta. We are willing to do every last thing. We're willing to make every last sacrifice and commit every last moment to achieve this goal. We want everyone on the same page. And, and, and I think what's great about it is everybody bought in and they got to, imme- you know, they, they got to not immediately, they got to reap the benefits of it. There's a banner hanging in Ball Arena forever now that says 2022 Stanley Cup champions. And they all now understand, not only do I commit this way just to be a better player and all that stuff, that's why we do this.
0: I think part of the culture, too, I'll begin wrapping this up, too. I know we're pressed for time, but it's not just the conditioning, the recovery, and the commitment to how they take care of themselves away from the rink, but also how they conduct themselves away from the rink. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to this avalanche groups, you know, how they operate away from the rink. I just know how other teams in the NHL do. And the teams I know of that had to enforce team curfews this year on the road were because players were going out and showing up to practices still not doing well. (laughs) And this is just not something that this avalanche group has had to impose for a reason. And those teams that had to bring about team curfews on the road aren't in the playoffs right now.
1: And I think it's why you've seen the abs target high character leadership type players, whether it be through the draft college free agents, things like that. They are, they have a culture they built here and and they want to, you know, they want it to sustain because they understand that that's what it takes to get to the end. Look, I I go back to that Western Conference final last year, that Edmonton Oilers team, you know, Connor McDavid kind of willed them to that point. And then I keep saying, you look at the contrast in those two teams last year, not getting into it this year. I think Edmonton learned a lot of lessons in that Western Conference final last year. And I think what we're talking about here, Megan, was the difference. And you saw what a massive difference it made. Edmonton had Connor McDavid, going at an unbelievable clip. Leon Drysaddle producing at a high rate in that Western Conference final, and it didn't make a lick of difference. This Avalanche team was just too committed, top to bottom. They just couldn't compete, and I think Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers learned a lot of lessons in that series last year, and I think that's why they're a better, more well-rounded team this year, but we'll see. It takes a lot more than just good players on the ice, and I think the Avs learned that, and I think we have been very lucky now, Megan, over the last two seasons to get to see that firsthand, and I think we maybe now have a different perspective on, you know, when you see some of these other teams having to put in curfews and stuff like that, it's like, yeah, I see what a championship team looks like up close. That ain't it.
0: Definitely. Okay. We're going to have more content coming for you later this week, so just keep an eye out for... Well, all of it. I think
1: we're going to have a lot of content coming this week. I think we're going to have a lot of content coming. Really
0: this week. excited. This is what we have been gearing up for all year, and it makes the 82-game season well worth it. Yep. But that is it for today, DNVR Avalanche Atherink At podcast. I'm Megan Angley, and this is Jesse Montano.
3: It's time to find out that you're all cowards. Yep. <laughs> I knew it. He's right. I am <laughs> honestly feeling a sweep in this. <laughs>
1: I I I. I think Seattle gets one in their building. My my guess is abs go up three nothing and Seattle fights it off in game four to put on a show for the crowd. It's a great moment they get a win it's everyone feels good everyone knows the series is over but they feel and good they leaving kind of
3: wave goodbye to the team like hey thanks
1: that was awesome yeah this has
3: been a great this has been a great season we can't wait to see you next year that's Megan, i think
2: marginally more faith in seattle
0: <laughs> i like the way they've matched up against the avs in the regular season and that is understanding that the avs have been really depleted when they've taken on seattle so yeah. that's a fair point to make but We don't know what Seattle is like as a playoff team, and I don't want to underestimate them. I've never seen them in postseason form. I'm curious to see what that actually looks like, and they've been afforded luxuries that the Avs have not this season, and that is in their forward depth. They've been able to scratch players who've had 46-point seasons, and the Avs just don't have that right now with Cogliano and Malgin in question, that the depth is going to be truly, truly tested Going back to the conversation about the decor though, I think that the Avs having a healthy defensive group, is like having extra forwards on the ice at times. And so I don't think it's going to be that hard for the Avs. I don't know if I'd stand totally by four or two or not, but you know, maybe four one, I don't know. But all that to say, I think it's going to be a loud building in Seattle. I think they're going to have a really passionate fan base that is excited about this moment. So I'm going to give Seattle some credit there and I'm just excited to see how it goes.
3: It's going to be fun, one way or another. Uh, Brief, but fun.